Good morning. So today is the first Sunday of Advent, and we celebrate Christ as our expectation of hope. Nate's going to read our scripture. Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, The Lord is Our Righteousness. Today we light the candle of expectation and hope. May it remind each and every one of us of God's great promise to us. He is our hope, He is our Redeemer, and He is our Savior. Let's pray together. Father, during this Advent season, may we be reminded of your promises to us and your fulfillment of them. Thank you for being our hope, our Redeemer, and our Savior. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, before I get started, let me mention also you've got a, an insert in your bulletin. Uh, also next Sunday, uh, from uh, 4 to 6, Jerry Larson will be uh, presenting uh, his Touch Seminar. It's, it's, on, uh, how, yeah, it's a workshop on sharing our, our faith. Uh, very, very good thing next week. So, we continue in our study of 1 Peter this morning. We're going to be in chapter 4, verse 1. You can start turning to that. And um, in a, a two seven, 2007 edition of Newsweek, there was a, uh, an interview, the uh, author and radio personality, uh, Garrison Keillor. And he was asked to choose what he considered to be the five most influential books some readers were uh, probably surprised to hear him say that the uh, the book of Acts rate, rated at the top of his list. And uh, when, when describing this book, he said this uh, real concise but, but potent summation. He said that the, the flames lit on their little heads and bravely and dangerously went they onward. We're not... Starting the book of Acts here, but uh, the uh, the title of this sermon is is onward. You know, they, the the apostles moved ahead. They they went onward. You know, going further rather than uh, coming to an end or or halting. You know, moving forward. That's that's what we need to do. You know, the, as as the apostle Paul says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. In Christ Jesus, that's in Philippians 3.14, you may remember that. And so this morning we, we continue our study, today's text is chapter 4, starting verse 1, 1 through 11, where uh, Peter encourages us to consider what, what Jesus Christ has done, you know, taking us from lostness to salvation in order to uh, to live in the present for 
God's will and, and his glory with, with an eye to the, the future because the end is near. So we had this, this passage in this sermon has kind of a, uh, you know, past, present, and, and future theme to it. And you'll, you'll see that as we, as we, as we move along. You know, Jesus Christ has made it uh, possible for us to move forward from sin and death to life in Christ on earth with a, or to, to a life of eternity in him with an eye towards uh, the, the future. So turn with me in your Bibles if you haven't already. Chapter 4, verse 1. Read with me. Since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatries. Quite a list there. With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. They malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh, the way people are, they might live in the spirit, the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers, above all, keeping or above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's steward, or as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, uh, as as we look at this passage, as, as we open up your word, uh, Lord, I just pray that you would touch our hearts. Lord, touch us. As that, as that song said, Lord, make us whole. Transform us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit and enable us to uh, live in power and in the love of Jesus Christ for your glory. Amen. So, you know, looking, looking towards the past at what Jesus has done, we need to uh, follow his example and in, in his suffering. You know, earlier in the uh, in the letter, Paul laid out this uh, the the case for Jesus' suffering and, and dying for us. You know, that's that's why he came. That's why that's why he he became one of us. Uh, and and we need to be ever mindful of the example that he set for us. And uh, Peter gets back to this this theme of of the mind, how how we are to think how we need to have the same attitude, the same way of thinking that Jesus did in his suffering. And a good passage to look at is Philippians 2, 5 through 11. You know, this, this is a key passage concerning our minds. 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You know, in, this, in the same vein then, Peter says, since Jesus suffered in the flesh, we should arm ourselves with this, this same way of thinking, the same attitude that Jesus had when he came to earth. Arm ourselves. What does it mean to, to arm ourselves? Some, some of the young guys were, were back there earlier talking about uh, guns. You know, I, I know they were talking about that because they were you know, like that. And, you know, there, there's a lot, a, lot of, a lot of talk about arming ourselves, but... What does it mean here? It means to to get ready, to be equipped. You know, I'm I'm reminded of Paul's exhortation that that we should put on the the full armor of God. You know, equip ourselves with this same way of thinking. Be battle ready with the, the attitude, the mind of Christ. You know, have his willingness to suffer to submit to the will of the Father as he did for for our sake. And armed with this way of thinking, we can also empty ourselves. We can subject ourselves to to suffering like Christ. This, This theme of suffering just keeps coming up. We'll see it again next week. Peter says, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of God. And you might kind of tilt your head when you, when you read this. Peter is not saying that we're going to reach a, a state of sinless perfection in this life on earth. You know, the scripture makes it pretty clear that, that we all do sin. We all still are subject to the, uh, the passions of the flesh. In 1 John 1, 8 through 9, John says, If we say we have no sin, we're, we, deceives our, we deceive ourselves, then the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 8 through 9. However, if we have this attitude that Jesus had, the mind of Christ in our suffering, we can, we can have the victory in this battlefield of, of the mind. We can, we can be done with sin as, as our master. It doesn't have to rule over us. Where we were once slave to sins, Christ has freed us from that bondage. Sin's not necessary. We do not need to obey that old master of, of sin. We, we have a new master now, Jesus. 
And as Paul said in Romans 6, 5 through 7, if we, seven, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we should no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So since we've been set free from sin, Peter says, let's no longer live for sin. Let's no longer live for for our human passion, but for what? The will of God. And this this applies to every area of our lives. You know, I, I want God to have his way in my family. I want God to have his will in this church. I want God to have his will in, in my mind and in my heart. Every aspect of my life, in my marriage, I want God to have his will. Any Anything that any of us does for our, our own self, our own passions, is is doomed for failure. What we do according to his will is, is going to strengthen us. If we want a strong family, we need to do God's will. If we want a strong church, we need to do God's will. We need to search our hearts. We need to search the scriptures and pray and, and ask God, what, what is your will for, for me? And so we can, stand, we can stand firm in what Jesus Christ has accomplished our, on our behalf in the past, and we need to look at the present. We need to move on from the past. You know, having, having been saved by the blood of Jesus, we're, we're new creations the Apostle Paul says, we're no longer under the penalty of sin. And Peter now says, it's time to move on from the past. Have you ever noticed that when you ride a bicycle, uh, it's kind of hard to ride backwards? Maybe somebody here can do that real well. In fact, it's pretty hard just to be stationary on a bicycle. You know, <laughs> if we're going to keep our balance, we need, we need to move forward. Peter says it's time to move on. It's time to go forward. He says, for the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatries. You know, we, we should not be held captive to the, to the flesh like the unsaved. We should not be Captive to sin. The time has passed, Peter says. God's rescued us and he's, he's secured our freedom for us. You know, when um, the story of the Israelites is, is very interesting. When, they, when God delivered them out of Egypt and they were pursued by the Egyptian army all the way to the Red Sea and then they crossed and, you know, God took care of them. But after that, they, they wandered around in the, in the wilderness and they started thinking about, you know, that was really good being a slave. You know, those, those onions, those, those cucumbers we used to eat, you know, those were 
those were good, you know. Here, here we are eating this manna and, and these quail. You know, they started longing for the good old days. They, they forgot what it was like to uh, be in bondage, to be in slavery, to work all day long, seven days a week under the tyrannical hand of the Pharaoh. Oh, though, their, their memories... Their forgetfulness. You know, Numbers Numbers eleven, four through six, it says, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. You know, Peter, Peter's talking about this stuff that's in our our past. And sometimes maybe we're tempted to look back and say, you know, those are good times. You know, I, I really enjoyed that, you know, and we forget the that bondage that we were in, the dissatisfaction and the, the guilt of, of sin. This list that, that Peter gives us certainly is not a, a comprehensive list of sins but his point is it's time to move on it's time to live in the present to be in Christ the the time has passed for us to be polluted by these worldly desires and this sinful behavior now these these things he listed shouldn't even be, shouldn't even be named among us as believers you know we remember peter said we're different We're the elect exiles. We're the chosen. We're the we're we're a royal priesthood, a, a, a holy nation, you know, a people called for Him, for His work, for His will. And since we live in the world, we have to live among people who are going to be watching us, people who are going to be witnesses to the amazing salvation that that Jesus has secured for us. Peter says about these people, with respect to this, they're going to be surprised when you don't join in in the same flood of debauchery and and they'll they'll malign you. Your, Your unsaved friend might say, oh, come on, indulge a little. Don't be such a holier than thou kind of person. There's there's no harm. When my, in my early days in, in military service, I saw this a lot. I the, these guys that I that I worked with, they just they lived for the weekend. They lived for their drinking parties. They lived for drunkenness, which they indulged in every weekend. And then Monday morning, they'd come dragging in like they'd been run over by a truck. No thanks. But they were surprised that I had no desire to participate in in these things. You know, I I hope they are surprised at that in us when they see our, our behavior. I hope they're not surprised that we're just like them and we do the same things as them. We should never do so. They'll be insulted, though. 
because they don't under they don't understand what it's like to have Jesus in their lives. They don't understand the the, the love and the passion and the desire we have for our, our Lord. They they don't comprehend who we are and what we have in Christ. But you know, God may be speaking to them through our lives, through our example. Maybe they're saying, you know, that person is different. This is very surprising. That person has, has joy in their lives. They don't, they don't need to numb themselves to, to be happy. Maybe, maybe our life is an invitation to our friends, our unsaved friends, to, to come to Jesus. You know, Peter says in verse 5 that uh, these, these folks will have to give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. You know, those, those who turn away from the call to follow the Savior, who reject Jesus, they, they'll have to explain one day why they chose to refuse eternal life when it was offered, why they decided to, to go their own way instead of God's way. In his second epistle, Peter says that God is patient towards us, very patient towards us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will will come like a thief. People will not have forever to make a decision for for Christ. And here in verse 6, it says, this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now the question arises, who is he talking about, these people who uh, are dead? It's the, the people who are now dead, who, who received the gospel, who believed in Jesus while they were still alive. You know, these believers were, were actively persecuted for the faith. They, they suffered judgment, so to speak, in this, in this life on earth. Uh, they died. They, they suffered physical abuse from the ungodly. But they'll enjoy life from God in the spiritual, heavenly realm because of the gospel. And the reason Peter gives to why the gospel was preached to these is that they might live in the spirit the way God does the way Jesus does. When Jesus returns, we'll, we'll be with him. We've got this great promise. You know, we'll no longer have incomplete understanding. We'll no longer suffer pain and deterioration in the, these bodies. We'll, we'll have glorified bodies. We'll see him as he is. See Jesus as he is and it says we'll, we'll be like him. I'm looking forward to that. You know what Peter's getting at in this, this whole passage is the need to, to look forward. We need to look to the future. We need to look with an eye towards eternity. Peter says the end of all things is at hand. Yeah, I was talking today or yesterday with, with someone. Well, it was Lois. I was talking with Lois yesterday about uh, how 
I think she was saying well, this this one song eighty years ago was written, and you know Jesus was coming at any moment eighty years ago that was the attitude. Guess what two thousand years ago that was the attitude that 's our attitude today. We should live in constant expectation of jesus 's return because he 'll come like a thief. The end is near. We've been looking for his return for a long, long time. We, he, what, what a great anticipation and what a great hope we have. Uh, do you remember, I, I, I was thinking about this, uh, it must have been like 10 years ago. Remember when the Mayan calendar ended? There, there was a movie about that and... Everybody's saying, well, you know, if the Mayan calendar is ending, well, the end of the world must be coming. <laughs> and I, I had a friend, he was a, a prison evangelist. His, his name was uh, Monty. And uh, he said his son was, was kind of concerned about this. And he said, do you, do you think that the end of the world will, will occur in my lifetime? And Monty said, absolutely, we can... We can all say that. Either Jesus will return or the, the end of the world will come at the end of my, right at the end, the last moment of my lifetime. But either way, the, the end is near. Our, our lives, the Bible says, are like a, a, just a wisp of vapor. It's passing away. And here's the, here's the real thrust of this passage. What does this mean to us? How then shall we live with eternity in mind? Peter tells us. You know, some people spend a considerable amount of time trying to pin down a, when Jesus is coming, and many people have been discredited over the years. During that same time, I remember Sunday morning after church one morning, all of the vehicles in the parking lot had a little flyer you know under the under the windshield blade and there was a prediction the 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 day and the hour that Jesus was coming well it didn't happen didn't happen and Jesus of course discouraged such prediction making and instead emphasized our mission on earth why we are here you know, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus said, you know, I'm not, I'm not taking them out of the world. They're, they're going to be in this world. And in Acts 1.8, you know, we, we have one of, the, one of the great commission passages and the same point is made. The, the disciples said, Jesus, now are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, that's not for you to know. I've got a job for you to do right now. He said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is how we should live in anticipation of Jesus' return. We should be witnesses for him, starting here and reaching the whole world. Peter says, here's a remedy. Here's the remedy. He tells us how to live in the end times. 
He says, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. We need to be alert and focused. Remember, Peter said the same thing back in in chapter 1. He said, uh, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yeah, we need to be ready for his return. Is is he going to come back and find us living for ourselves, being self-absorbed? Or is he going to come back finding us already close to him, walking with him, walking in the spirit? You know, if that's where we're at, it, it, it will be no surprise at all, I don't think. You know, uh, he says, we need to do this for the sake of our prayers. We need to be self-controlled and sober-minded. Why is that? Well, prayer is hard work. Remember, Paul in Colossians talked about uh, this, this guy Epaphras and how he labored in prayer. He, he wrestled. He uh, worked hard at prayer. Worked hard. You know, self-discipline is important. Sharp minds are important. Without that, our prayers will be uh, careless and maybe even non-existent. Look at what Peter says next. He said, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. A couple key words there. He says, above all. He says, this is the most important thing right there, that we love each other earnestly. Do we realize the impact of what Peter is, is saying here? Above all, you know, this is, this is a continuous action. It's keep loving one another earnestly. The literal translation of this is have constant love for one another. Constant love. This is unwavering love. It's a persevering love that doesn't give up. And why should we have this kind of prayer, this kind of love? Peter says, because love covers a multitude of sins. You know, the very very last verses, the last two verses of the book of James say this, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You know, this is a, a love that restores. This is a love of, of reconciliation. It's a, it's a love that seeks renewal in relationships. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This is a love that builds up rather than tearing down. This is a love... As, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, that does not keep a list of evils. It doesn't keep a list of grievances and, and engage in, in fault finding. That's not love. 
Peter continues in verse 9. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. You know, hospitality is, is one of those things that is listed among those activities that we need to engage ourselves in as servants, you know, graciously meeting other people's needs. You know, Paul, when, he, when, he's, talk about, when he's talking about widows who, who've lived godly lives, he, he says they, they've shown hospitality, washed the feet of the saints, have, have cared for the afflicted, and have devoted themselves to every good work. And it's kind of interesting here that Peter now adds uh, these two words without grumbling. <laughs> without grumbling. You know, do we, do we grumble about serving others and, and doing good? Like, oh, we're having them over again? When, when, I, when I was a kid, we, we had... S- six kids, four boys, the oldest, and we didn't get invited over to people's houses very often. (laughs) And I guess I can't blame them. We were uh, probably produced a lot of of grumbling, yeah. Anyway, uh, you know, do we we engage in negative, behind-the-scenes kind of talk about the people we're serving? That's what he's talking about. We need to open our arms wide to each other, to the unsaved, to anybody who who has needs that we need to help meet. And we need to do it with gladness and sincerity and and generosity. Uh, Dorothy Bass, in in an article that was in uh, Christianity Today, said something which I think is very true. In an era... When many of us feel that time is our scarcest resource, hospitality falters. In a fast food culture, a wise Benedictine monk observes, you have to remind yourself that some things cannot be done quickly. Hospitality takes time. So God has blessed us so that we might bless others. We are very blessed in our in our country we have no excuse you know peter says as as each has received a gift use it to serve one another as god's steward or as good stewards of god's varied grace you know this is this is very significant here you know this this tells us why god has given us gifts he didn't give us gifts for us to enjoy them for our own benefit our own use he's given us gifts so that we could serve others within the church to, to build up the body. That's what our gifts are for. He uh, says that uh, really, you know, the, the things that we've been given by the Lord, we should, we should exercise these gifts with, with excellence. He doesn't use that word, but that's the gist here. Excellence. A couple examples he gives, you know, he says whenever... Whenever you speak, you should speak of one who is speaking the oracles of God. What does that mean? You know, our, our speech, our very speech should be seasoned with, with grace. You know, if we, if we teach or, or preach, our, our teaching should be true to the word of God. 
true to the word of God so that it's, it is God's teaching. You know, it should be like the teaching of Christ. You know, as people should see Jesus in us, they should hear Jesus in us as well. What kind of advice do we give to our, our friends? Is it godly advice? Is it scriptural? You know, how do, how do, we, how do we answer people when, when we're insulted? Peter talked earlier about Jesus not returning uh, reviling for reviling. Do we do that? Do we return insult for insult, evil for evil? He says, uh, another example here, whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. You know, our, our very service, sometimes it can, it can wear us out, but we need to tap God's strength. It should be derived from God's strength. You know, we can do more and we can do better when we rely on him. When we serve others, it should be as if that service is being done by Christ. And it should be done for his glory. He gets the credit, right? Not us. In everything we do, we need to seek God's glory as Jesus works through us. You know, we should we should be known as, as kind, graceful, generous people. Uh, here, here's an example in my own life. You know, it's taken me years to learn this lesson when when I tip at a restaurant, for example, you know, I, I grew up learning that you punish the, the waiter or waitress for poor service by giving a poor tip. Hmm? That's backwards. That's not grace, is it? What is grace? It's, it's giving to somebody what they don't deserve. Our God has been extravagant in his grace. We need to be extravagant in our grace as well. And Christians should probably be the most generous tippers there are. Our, our, our son was, was a waiter for a time at, at a restaurant. and He said, you know what? I, I hate working on Sundays after church when, when all the church people come. He says, I just... He said, they're the worst tippers and the loudest complainers. That should not be. We should be the friendliest, most generous people they encounter. They should see that we are different. All these things that Peter lists are things that we should do with our eye towards eternity, the future, because as stated earlier, the the end is near. Our conduct towards other people should be helping them to prepare for eternity because the end is near for them as well. The lost need to be found. They need Jesus. They need to be saved. Peter ends this section with a, with a great benediction. He says, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Again, all we do should be done for his glory, not ours. Jesus makes it clear that his disciples are to be servants. Servants. The 
the greatest in the kingdom, he says, Jesus says, will be the, the least. His is the glory and dominion. Well, in closing, uh, let's move forward. Let's let's remember that word onward. You know, let's thank God that Jesus suffered and died on our behalf, that God loved us that much. He's now, though, at the right hand of the Father. Christ is there, intervening, interceding on our behalf. And for this, we're, we're grateful. Let's, let's put our sinful past behind us. Let's put our sinful ways of thinking behind us. And let's move on and have our eyes on the prize that's before us. The, the, the time has passed. Peter says the time is sufficient. You know, what's past is sufficient. That time is gone. Let's, uh, let's not live in sin and live for ourselves. Let me, let me read Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 again. Uh, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's have that same mind. Let's have the attitude that Christ had. Let's, let's serve the body of Christ. Let's serve each other with, with passion, with, with faithfulness, with, with excellence. And let's be concerned foremost that Jesus Christ is glorified. Let's pray. Um, Lord God, when uh, when we consider the timeline of our, our lives, sometimes we, we look back and our, our life seems to have moved by so, so quickly. Other times it seems like it's been a long time life but we know the end is near we're we're amazed at the great love you showed us on the on the cross lord let us let us have the same mind as as you jesus who gave yourself and suffered and died on our behalf help us to live in you to walk with you obeying you pleasing you lord and we look forward with great anticipation, great expectation of, of your return, Jesus. Let your love shine through us towards each other. Yours is the kingdom and, and the power and, and the glory forever. Amen.